and turn to 2 Kings chapter number 5. 2 Kings chapter number 5. Last time I preached, I let you out early and messed up all the children's classes. So I'll try to try to be punctual, but not early or late today, if I can do that. 2 Kings chapter 5. Uh, we have the account of Naaman and him being cured from leprosy. Do you remember that account? 2 Kings chapter 5. I'm not going to read through all the verses today for the sake of time. But if you remember, Naaman was a military leader for Syria. And God had used him in the sense of being a great military leader. And he had helped Syria in a tremendous way. He was well-loved and he had leprosy. And leprosy was going to kill him. And there was nothing that he could find that would help his leprosy. And I could spend time going through what leprosy was like, but let me say this, it was horrific. There was no options for him. And then there was this young maid from Israel, someone who had been taken captive, someone who could have been a bitter, angry young person, but as we find, she had a tender heart and was wanting to help. And she told this man with leprosy, oh, if you could go to where this prophet that I know of is, the God of that man could help you from your leprosy. We get down to verse number 14. And we find that Naaman went down, he dipped himself seven times in Jordan. If you remember, those were the instructions that he had. According to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. I want to preach to you this morning how God works to accomplish big things. Let's pray. Lord, I'm so thankful to be in this place this morning. I'm thankful for the people that have gathered, and I'm thankful for the Word of God. Thankful that it touches lives the same now as it always has. And Lord, I pray that in our service this morning, you would free us from distraction, and Lord, you would speak through your Word, and you would speak through me this morning. And Lord, I pray that we wouldn't be content with living lives without victory, but Lord, we'd seek for you to do great things and big things. Lord, thank you that just as you healed Naaman of his leprosy, Lord, you can bring your healing touch in our lives spiritually. Lord, I pray that you'd heal our country. I pray that you'd heal families that are broken. I pray that you would restore lives. And then, Lord, I pray that you would Allow your gospel to go where it hasn't gone. Use us this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As I consider this account, I thought of some things that God used to reach Naaman and heal Naaman of his leprosy. Before I get into those ways, I just thought, boy, what a, what a place that Naaman was in without any more options. And I thought about so many times in Scripture that God brings people to a place where they're without options. You know, what's true is that many times if we have options, we don't look to the Lord. We try to figure out how we can maybe finagle finances. We, we, we try to think about how we can go to family or how we can figure out this health problem by taking this supplement or going to this doctor. And, and, and God uses many of those things, but many times God will bring us to a place in our life where we have no options. That's, through, that's true throughout Scripture. Think of Israel when they got to the Red Sea. What options did they have as the Egyptians were closing in on them and there was a sea in front of them? They had no options, and God did something amazing. Account after account after account of Scripture, when, when people were without hope, they saw God do something. And Naaman is 
an account of that as well. And may I say this to you this morning, if you're at a place in your life and, and you feel helpless and hopeless, you're not helpless and hopeless because we have a God that does great things. I, I'm, I'm a missionary and I care about missions and I care about the gospel going to the world. Do you realize that as we talk about God's faithfulness and we sing about God's faithfulness and we sing about God's mercy, that about 40 to 50% of the world has never one time heard the name Jesus Christ. We can go on our lives and we can be thankful for the grace of God and thankful that we have the written word of God when there's thousands of languages, about 4,000 languages that don't have the word of God in their language. And certainly as we consider God doing great things, we want God to do great things with his, his word and the gospel of Jesus Christ going to the world. I notice first of all this, God uses his men, his people, his men and women to do great things. As you go through this story, we find that God used Naaman to help the king. God used Naaman as a soldier. We find that God used this maid from Israel uh, to, to tell of God's power. We find that God used the king of Syria and the king of Israel. Uh, they, they wanted Naaman to get better, and the king of, of, uh, of Syria sent a letter to the king of Israel, and the king of Israel got that letter and didn't know what to do, but he sent this man to the prophet Elisha, and God used the king of Syria and the king of Israel to get Naaman to this prophet Elisha. As Naaman goes to Elisha, we find that God uses Elisha and God speaks through Elisha. In the Old Testament, the completed word of God uh, wasn't finished and God spoke through men. He spoke through prophets and God spoke through Elijah, or Elisha. Excuse me. We find that God used Elisha's messenger. If you remember the story when Naaman came to where Elisha was, he expected Elisha to come and meet this great warrior with some grand uh, manner and Elisha just sends his servant out to meet Naaman. And Naaman was offended by that. He said, don't you know who I am? I thought for sure somebody would be able to greet me in a way that better than your servant coming out of your house. Elisha didn't even come out of the house. God used that servant to continue that message that the, the prophet Elisha had given. And this servant carried the words of God that God had given to Elisha. God used that servant of Elisha. God used Naaman's servants because Naaman wasn't so convinced about following uh, the, the words of Elisha to go and dip himself seven times into the River Jordan. And, and Naaman's own, uh, own servants who probably didn't know the God of the Bible, they said, Naaman, if God had told you to do something hard, wouldn't you have done it? Why can't you just follow what this prophet has said and go and dip yourself in the river seven times? God used the servants of Elisha. God used the servants of Naaman. God uses people. You know what I found is that still God uses people. God uses people that he places in our lives. God uses parents. Maybe your parents are unsaved, but you know that what's true most of the time is parents want what's best for their kids. God uses moms and dads many times to guide their children to make right decisions. God uses pastors. I'm thankful uh, for your pastor, my pastor too. I forgot I'm, I'm at my church. That's kind of special. I'm thankful for godly pastors that, that want their church families to do right, that don't use the opportunity of being in the ministry for some private gain, but care about people. God uses people, and you ought to be willing to listen to the leadership and the authority that God has placed in your life. But what about us? Do we let God use our lives? I told last time I was here about some different stories and different accounts of people that live in Honduras, and I could tell you about the different 
people that we've seen come and even go from our ministry and the heartbreaks that they have. I believe the last time I was here, I talked about a young lady that every time it was her birthday, she would cry because her mom and dad that aren't really part of her life never call her, and she always hopes they will on her birthday. Uh, that young lady and another young lady, that's her cousin, their grandmother passed away uh, on Thursday. Their grandmother was one of the few people that, that has been in their lives at all. And uh, that grandmother trusted Jesus Christ as her Savior last year, and I've got a picture of, of the moment that she trusted Christ as her Savior. But she passed away, and these two young ladies from our ministry, residents of our program, uh, went to go and be at that funeral, and, and they called me in tears, and it broke my heart. When you've been abandoned and left behind and one, one or two people that you know in your family keep up with you and you lose them, it's, it's a hard thing. Uh, I could tell you stories of children that have been abused. I could tell you stories of uh, people that have been murdered. I could tell you some serious stories. And somebody needs to be in those kids' lives. I'm thankful God's allowed me to be a missionary. But, you know, what I see in Honduras is just a small picture of what's going on in the world. Would you let God use you? Would you let God use you in your family? Perhaps in your extended family, perhaps there's broken lives, perhaps there's addiction problems, perhaps uh, there's somebody that's hurting, and God uses people. And here, when God's doing great things with Naaman, God used a whole host of people to meet those needs. I wonder if you've ever come to a place in your life where you've said to the Lord, Lord, I, I know you as my Savior, and I'm so thankful for your grace and your mercy, but God, I want you to know that I'm available to be used. Every Christian should come to the place in their life of dedication where, where they come before the Lord and say, Lord, if you want me to do something great or you want me to do something small, I'm willing for you to send me where you want me to go and do what you want me to do. I, I like to study the history of revival in the New England area. Have you ever done that before? If you study the Great Awakenings, boy, right in our backyard, some of these well-known preachers came through this area. Uh, Jonathan Edwards, George Whitfield, David Brainerd are all people that were, were used by God in tremendous ways in the New England area. And, and Connecticut, it used to be that the only church you could legally have in the state was a congregational church. If you notice, as you go through all of small town New England, there's congregational churches all over Connecticut, kind of in the center of town. Because it used to be in Connecticut that was the only church you could have. And those churches had the gospel and were preaching the gospel. And many of those well-known preachers preached at the congregational churches uh, all, that, that, that were, spread, were spread all through Connecticut. There's a place in western Connecticut where George Whitfield preached in a little, little village. And over 10,000 people came to hear him preach with no amplification, and it wasn't a big building. They set up basically bleachers outside the building and opened up all the windows, and there were so many people getting saved in Connecticut years ago that they started basically, not, not exactly a commune, but people started getting saved and wanting to hear the preaching, and they started building houses all through that area. And uh, there's, there's places you can visit and see where the work of God was in that way. Years ago, uh, when, when Jonathan Edwards preached in Enfield, Connecticut, People were so desperate to hear the word of God, they traveled on horseback, and they, somebody went by horse to all the other towns in Connecticut and said, Jonathan Edwards preaching in Enfield. And everybody would just drop what they were doing. If they were working on the farm, they would just drop what they were doing and start running towards town, and they would get on their horse, and they would run on their horse until their horse couldn't run any longer. Then they would get off their horse, and then they would run alongside their horse until their horse got a little bit of rest, and they were about to die. Then they'd get on the horse. And when they got to Enfield, there was so much dust 
from so many people coming to hear the gospel you could barely see in front of you. I remember reading about those stories as a young person and begging God, God, would you use my life in some great way like that? I felt, boy, I was pretty spiritual to want those things. But I'll tell you this, God brought me to a place many, many years ago. And he said, and he, he, I felt like he was asking me this question, Chris, if I want you to be a nobody that nobody's ever heard of and just be faithful, would you do that? And the truth was, that was, that was something I didn't want to do. I wanted to do something big. I wanted to do something great. I wanted to, to, to see what, God had, what, what people have seen before, even in this state. And so I struggled with that for a while. What if God doesn't want me to be somebody great? What if God wants me to be somebody that's unknown? And I came, I remember a moment in my life where I said, God, I'll do anything you want me to do. And if God, if, if you want me to be somebody that's not so great, I'm not giving up on you using my life, but God, I want you to be the one that decides what to do with my life. And the truth is, when I made that decision, I kind of think that I made that decision expecting God to say, okay, good, now you're humble, now I'll do something big with you. And it wasn't that. And I've been through some things in my life that have humbled me, and I'm thankful for God's faithfulness. And I do know this, God uses people. God will use you. God could use you just as easily as he could use me in a place like Honduras. God could use you to reach people in the community of Meriden. God could use you to encourage kids in this school that, that maybe you could teach at or be involved with. God could use you to reach people with the gospel who have never heard. God uses men. I look at verse 3 of 2 Kings chapter 5. This young, this young girl says to her mistress, let, let's back up to verse 2. The Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid. In a sense, she's the hero of this story. Here's a captive, a slave. If anybody had an excuse and a right to be bitter, it would be her. And she waited on Naaman's wife, and she said unto her mistress, Would God, my Lord, were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. This young, faithful, not bitter, young lady was used by God in a tremendous way. I hope our heart's desire would be that God would use us. Would you be the man or woman that God uses to carry his word like this young lady carried the news of the prophet of Elisha? God uses men. Number two, God uses his message. God uses his message, his words. Look at verse number 10. The Bible says, And Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Okay, Elisha is going to talk to this Naaman through a messenger, and here's the word that Elisha gives. Go and wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. Now, God speaks through prophets in the Old Testament, so this is as good as the word of God. God is telling Naaman exactly what he needs. It wasn't what Naaman was looking for. It wasn't what was logical to Naaman. Naaman thought, why would I go to the Jordan River? That's a disgusting river. There's other rivers that are clean. If I have to go to that river, why couldn't I go to this other clean river or this other? There's better places to go. There's, there's things that are more logical. But may I say this? To see God do great things, we've got to follow his message. We've got to follow his word. There's many times that the word of God leads us to do something that's not necessarily logical in our minds. 
But if we would follow the Word of God and we'd hold the Word of God in, in high esteem in our lives, we must, we must hear the Word of God for it to affect us, right? The Bible says to be hearers of the Word of God. We've got to be listening to the Word of God. One reason we come to church is because at church the Bible's open and we hear what God has to say for us. Your walk with God will never be greater than your relationship to His Word. The work of God in your life will never happen apart from the Word of God in your life. If you want to see God do something, and you want to see God do something in your church, in our church, if you want to see God do something in your life, if you want to see God answer prayers, if you want to see God bring restoration in different situations, if you want to see God do something great on the mission field or or, or even the impact of our church for missions, we've got to understand that we need to be hearers of the Word of God. We must understand God's Word. You think about salvation, for someone to be saved, they have to understand the plan of salvation, don't they? You, you can't go to a place that's never heard and say, hey, raise your hand if you want to go to heaven, and everybody raises their hand, and you go back and give a report to your church. No, that's not how it works. They need to understand the Word of God that the Bible says we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says that there's none righteous, no, not one. Until we realize that we're sinners and just like Naaman, we're helpless to do anything about our situation. We can't be saved. Naaman knew that he was helpless. Naaman listened to what the Word of God said. The Word of God says that there's a penalty for sin. The wages of sin is death. You know, we have a lot of ideas how we could fix that, right? We think, well, you know, I'm a sinner, but if I go to church... If I'm faithful, if I give, if I go on a mission trip to Honduras, certainly if I'm a good person, that'll be enough to pay for my sin. But the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Some people think that doesn't make any sense. But I'm glad Naaman followed God's word from the prophet Elisha, and I hope we would follow God's word. The Bible says, neither is there salvation in any other. There is no other name under heaven given to men whereby we must be saved. Salvation is in Jesus Christ. The Bible says, he that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. The Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord in faith, trusting the gospel that Jesus Christ died, buried, and that he rose again, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Have you ever followed the message of God's word and trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? It could be today that there's somebody that's been at church week after week after week, and you say, well, I'm a Christian. I go to church. I know all the songs. I've been here, and I've maybe even sung specials before. But if you've never trusted what the Bible says about salvation, friend, the Bible says there's one way to heaven. It's putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Naaman could have said, I'm not going in that Jordan River. I've got, a, 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 I've got some doctors back home. I'd rather go and talk to them. Maybe they can find some cream or some ointment, or maybe I can go and talk to somebody that will give me something a little more glamorous than going into a muddy river. But there was one way for Naaman to be cleaned of his leprosy, and it was to obey what God said to him through this prophet Elisha. And there's one way to heaven, and it's putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Many times in Honduras, people are very religious, but they're lost. They've never trusted Jesus Christ. When I got to Honduras, I took on the pastorate of a church. And I knew that these people were faithful to the church, and I didn't know much about them. And there was a, there was a brother and sister that were coming faithfully to church, and they knew all the songs. And they were about as nice as anybody could. They're nicer than some church members that I've seen at other churches. I mean, they were good, nice people. And they would sing specials in church. And they would sing them with smiles on their faces. 
And I talked to them about salvation a little bit. And I said, do you know Jesus Christ is your Savior? Yes, Brother Chris, I, I, I do. And, and uh, I'm a Christian. I said, okay. And I didn't know otherwise. But I remember this, this young lady, her name is Proxidus. She thought she was saved because she went to church. And she said, well, I know the Bible's true, so isn't you know, that all I need to know? I remember one, one day preaching on the grace of God. And it was an emotional message. Not all of my messages are that way, but that day it was. And she came out after the service with tears streaming down her face. I said, Pastor Chris, at the time, Pastor Chris, I've never received the grace of God for salvation, and I want to. I'm thankful that God's message has power, and God uses his message. You will not find God's leading apart from God's word. And if you want to see God do big things, look at your Bible. Follow God's word. Obey God's word. Look at this, and I'm done. We saw that God uses men, that God uses his message, and that God uses his method of faith. Verse 14. Let's look at verse 13. Name and servants come near, and they speak to him. My father, if the prophet had bid thee to do some great thing, wouldest thou not have done it? How much rather then when he saith to thee, wash and be clean. I can imagine Naaman conflicted in his heart. Deciding, am I going to listen to this message from Elisha that I don't know if I like? Or am I going to do what I think is best? And somewhere along the line, Naaman said, I'm going I'm to take a step of faith. And he got to the edge of the river. He probably looked at the river and thought, that is the most disgusting, dirty river. Should I even get in? Maybe he put his foot in, because I don't know, if some people get in the pool or, or, or whatever, they check if the water is cold. Maybe he put his foot in and it slid down into the mud. And he thought, oh. But he got in the water and he dipped himself. I think he probably looked at his skin after the first dip, don't you? Is this working? or am, you know, Don't you think he was thinking, is this working or am I an idiot? Is everybody laughing at me now? Probably. Second time, no difference. All the way to the sixth time. Well, I followed this far. I may go one more time. You know what that is? It's faith. In the Bible, faith is always anchored to the promise of God. Faith is not, well, I believe this is going to happen, and because I believe it, it's going to be true. What you believe doesn't affect what's reality. Sometimes people say, well, I just believe that, you know, this is going to happen, and if I believe enough, it's, it's going to be this magical thing. No, in the Bible, faith is always attached to a promise that God's made. What God said is true no matter how I feel about it. The Bible says this, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. Philippians chapter 4, I believe. And I think we can testify that God's been faithful to us. We heard that in the song. But have you ever been in a moment in your life where you thought, boy, this time? I don't know. I don't know what's going to I just lost my job. I don't, I don't know how we're going to feed the family. I don't know why. $6.35 a gallon for diesel fuel right now. I drive an F-350 to pull a camper behind it. It's $180 to fill my truck up. That hurts sometimes. And you're going to have to pay that to heat your homes this winter. I'll be back in Honduras. 
But the truth is that there's moments where we say, I have no idea what I'm going to do. And God's been faithful. And your feelings never change anything about it. God is faithful, and he's promised to be faithful. And so Naaman, as, he, as he's in this moment, do I trust God or not? Obviously, there's fear involved, but God's word is true, and he chose to follow what God had said. That's called faith. Faith is always anchored in the promise of God. And when he chose to follow God in faith, it resulted in obedience, and he saw God do great things. Faith is not based on logic, but hope and expectation that God's word is true. Would you trust God when you don't understand what God is doing? How God works to accomplish big things. God uses men. Would you let God use you and his plan? Would you let God use the men and women he's placed in your life to help you and guide you, just like he used so many in the life of Naaman? Would you follow God's message? You'll never see God's leading in your life apart from the word of God. Sometimes we... we I'm more worried about what one person thinks about our situation. Oh, I, I talked to this person, and they said this, and then I talked to this person. And we can usually find somebody that agrees with us. We ought to go to the Word of God. And the Word of God is infallible, and it's powerful. God's message and God's method of faith, trust Him. Trust Him, and you'll see God do great things. I think of this as I close. He was in a place with no options. And God did something amazing. And I would ask you, if you're in a place where you don't have options, trust the Lord. How God works to accomplish great things, God's men, God's message, God's method, let's pray.